Hello and welcome to The 100 Podcast. It's Ed Charlie here with you. Hope you're well. Today, we are taking a look at the women's 100 retentions. All eight sides have locked in their retentions now ahead of the first ever women's draft. And we're going to take you through with our analysis of every single team, what they've done differently to what we expected and what they might do in the draft and moving forward. Charlie, there are some teams who kind of went with exactly what we expected, but there were some big surprises here. There were. On the whole, though, I think they've been pretty pleasant surprises. I think a lot of the teams here are showing a really good strategy going into the draft. I think, you can remember, this is the very first women's draft in the 100. Didn't necessarily know what kind of tactics these teams were going to approach. But on the whole, I think they make a lot of sense. So, yeah, maybe they weren't quite what we were expecting. But on the whole, I quite like some of the strategies here. Yeah, and we'll go through all those strategies and your mailbag questions as well. Briefly, though, before we get into that, let's look at the differences between the men's and women's draft system. So the women's draft is of eight rounds, so smaller than the men's. When those eight rounds are finished, every team gets to sign free agents in the remaining brackets to build up their team, so a smaller draft than the men's. Within those eight rounds, you are able to retain four players. and have to, but you could retain four. There were restrictions though, uh, you could only have either two centrally contracted players or two overseas players, but not both. So you could have two centrally contracted and one overseas, two overseas, one centrally contracted player. And then obviously the third would then be a domestic, um, you know, normal player outside of a central contract. And those things do matter when we get into this. Uh, we'll explain why shortly. Let's start off though with the Welsh fire, Charlie. So we expected them to keep Tammy Beaumont uh, and to keep Hayley Matthews. However, they didn't go with what we necessarily expected from their domestic picks. We thought they'd probably keep around Alex Hartley and Fran Wilson. They didn't. They kept Annabelle Sutherland. So what, what do you make of those three picks? Because here's the, here's the wild thing. They only kept three players, not four. Yeah, and they're the only team who have done that. And I think, to be fair... If you ever asked me which of these teams are the most likely not to keep their full quota, the Welsh Fire would have probably been my answer because their last two seasons have been very poor. It kind of makes sense that they want a bit of a refresh. But I will say Alex Hartley not being retained did surprise me. I thought they wanted to lock in a little bit of domestic quality there. They had her on the books, very canny operator. And by looks of her Twitter, I think she was quite surprised as well, to be honest. So maybe they just couldn't agree a fee. I don't know, but that surprised me. I thought they might have gone for her over Sutherland. Not that I think it's a bad thing necessarily. I think Sutherland's a solid pick there. But yeah, a slight surprise, but I'm okay with it personally. I do think it's a surprise. And we'll get onto this later, not to spoil everything else. But the Southern Brave retain my Boucher and Freya Camp in the lowest price bracket. Those are two players who are going to be playing for England consistently. Right, um, you know they've 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 had lots of caps. They're going to be part of England's future on the lowest price bracket possible in this draft. So if they are able to get Boucher and Kemp on that money, two young stars, I don't fully understand how the Fire wouldn't have been able to negotiate Hartley or Wilson there. Now that's you new. Know, no, it's it's not for me. I wouldn't you know if Alex Hartley said I'm worth round five, round six money, I'd completely be fine with that. I think that's totally fair. 
my confusion is how they weren't able to make that work because whilst they aren't a team full of talent, just keeping someone experienced like Hartley or Wilson's big, just to have some sort of continuity, to have some sort of leadership, some players who played in the biggest leagues in the world and have played in World Cups, World Cup finals, all of these different things. So I was surprised that didn't happen. And, you know, fair play to Hartley and Wilson if they go on to get bigger money in the draft. That's great for them. I'm just not completely sure how the fire weren't able to keep that up. And obviously we'll get to the Brave later, but I do think that's certainly one of the advantages of being a great franchise compared to a bad franchise, effectively. You know, great franchises can keep some of their players on the cheap and teams like Welsh Fire just can't. It's it's true, isn't it? I think you have a significantly stronger hand if you're a good team because fundamentally players want to play for you if you're a good team that wins and they don't want to play for you if you're not a good team that don't win very much. I think it's a pretty simple point when you put it that way, but it makes a big difference when you're a player. So I suspect that might be what's happened here. And it's a shame, but I totally get it from the player's point of view. I'd be the same. Yeah. I, I like what they have done though. Beyond that, I think I think it makes sense. Obviously, we talked about Beaumont and Matthews previously. Haley Matthews is a, a really good player, the only good, you know, good thing about the world's father the last couple of seasons, frankly. So especially when you consider her offspin, you keep that there. That's great. Tammy Beaumont, very experienced England player, makes lots of sense. And I like the Annabelle Sutherland pick. I mean, we we know, for example, that you know, premium all rounders are difficult to find. Uh, and you know, a couple of the Aussies aren't taking part in this tournament, we've heard, the likes of Talia McGrath. So so locking in someone like Annabelle Sutherland, who's 21 years of age, bowls with a bit of pace, can bat a bit as well. You know, not the finished product yet, um, but but a, you know, a, a, a pretty good player to lock in in round six, for me, feels like good value. And then at that point, you know, you have two quality top order options. You have an all-rounder who can bat, you know, six, seven, and that means in your top six, you're going to have two players who can offer 20 deliveries. I think that makes all the difference. So I do like the fact that they've kept Annabelle Sutherland around, although she's probably not the the huge, massive name um, that, you know, lots of people might have might have prov- you know, provisionally expected them to bring in. I think it's just, I think it's, it's good business, um, especially if you don't know what overseas players might necessarily be be available throughout the tournament. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how they go on that front. I think the draft's going to be interesting for them because obviously you, you feel okay about the talent you have locked in, you now have two premium picks to try and try and get this sorted. Um, the other thing here, obviously, is that every other team has a player retained in round two in that top bracket of 31 to 50. Uh, they don't. So they're going to have two premium picks there to bring in some quality. That's probably another gun overseas player. Maybe that's a bowler um, potentially there. Maybe you try and bring in a great leg spinner. And then it's a domestic stud. The complicating factor here, Charlie, is the right to match. And let's let's talk about it now because I think it has the biggest impact on the Welsh fire. And I think the easiest way to demonstrate this is through a quick draft exercise. Charlie is going to be the general manager of every single other 100 team other than the Welsh fire. And I'm going to be the Welsh fire. Now, we don't necessarily know how this is exactly going to work, um, but I'm going to try and draft some players. Charlie is going to exercise his right, if he fancies it, to right-to-match players. 
My first pick is uh, Sophia Dunkley. I am absolutely RTMing her straight back to Southern Brave. No question. Right. I, <laughs> I'm drafting Laura Wolvart. And I am right to matching Laura Wolvart for the Northern Superchargers. I am drafting Beth Mooney. And I am right to matching Beth Mooney for London Spirit. Now, this could go on for a while, because Kate Cross maybe is another player that you might fancy bringing back if either Manchester Originals. Point is here <laughs> that teams have lots of really talented players on effective right-to-match deals, and that's going to be difficult for Welsh Fire, because effectively then you're you're shielded from getting the three or four potential best value players in this draft. I think there are some options. I think Danny Wyatt um, might be there, because obviously if Sophia Dunkley is the right to match for Southern Brave, she'd be available. But it is it is quite a complicating factor and impact on how you're building your team, especially because you're going to have to have at least seven or eight scenarios built up for what you're going to try and achieve, depending on what happens with your first overall pick, which might be any of six players, depending on what teams decide to use for their right to match. It's it's a challenge, isn't it? I mean, on one hand, you look at it and you think, well, they've got the best draft capital in the draft here, those two top-tier picks available to them. But it is a double-edged sword because you do have to... As you say, Ed, you have to accept that you're going to have to watch a lot of players you want get right to match straight back to where they came from. And I think a lot of teams have been quite clever in the way that they've released their players because they know that they can RTM them straight back and cause this problem for Hush Fire, which I don't think was their intent, but it is certainly uh, an unintendedly nice byproduct for them. So they're going to have to think it through quite wisely. And I think they're going to have to accept that a lot of their ideal first choices probably aren't going to play for them. Um, but if they prepare accordingly, they can get around it quite nicely, I think. And there are some pathways available to them that I think would be a really good start to their draft. I think they can overcome this. I, I think it's difficult to kind of know the best course of action, obviously, without knowing the full players list, which is going to come out soon. And obviously, we'll have mock drafts and our pre-draft specials that that kind of you know will come out in the next you know few weeks as we build up to the draft. And I'll see what we might do with the Welsh Fire. I feel fine about what they've done. I don't know how you feel. I feel fine. I like the Southern pick. I like what they've done. I just, warning bells, warning flash signs, whatever whatever you want, just, just flash over the fact they couldn't keep Hartley or Wilson, two pretty good players with England experience who other teams might have been able to keep on the cheap and they couldn't. That, that for me is just a concern. And obviously that's something that they'll have to get around by winning. But regardless, that's the impact of being crap for two years. It is. And to be fair, I don't know if they could have done much more there if they wanted to keep them. And they both said, no, I don't want to play for you anymore. Then what more can you do? You know, like at this stage, you have to accept that's where you are at a team. And you use this draft to try and rebuild so that next time players will be doing what they're doing for the Brave and Invincibles and taking less money than they're probably worth because they want to play for you. That's the idea, right? Long term. So... I, I I don't think that's out of the or uh, I don't think that is an unrealistic goal at this point. If they draft well, it's certainly possible. So I'm pretty happy whether all things considered, this is fine. Meanwhile, of course, other teams are getting superstar players on discounted contracts. 
like the London Spirit. Let's talk through where they are. Relatively similar to what we expected. The only difference is um, Amelia Kerr and Charlie Dean are a couple of uh, are a bracket lower each, and a different player has been retained at the bottom of the draft. Let's talk through it. Heather Knight, captain of England and of the London Spirit, in at round two makes sense. Amelia Kerr, gun leg spinner from New Zealand, gun all rounder. For me, worth every penny in round one or two. Is being kept in round four, which is excellent business in my mind. And Charlie Dean, also round six, um, playing the England side. Great business. And then Danny Gibson. We projected that they'd keep around Grace Scrivens. they keep around Danny Gibson instead. I think my first takeaway is that's great work to keep Kerr and Dean on lower brackets than you might initially expect. I think it's really good value for the both of them there. You know, we thought Amelia Kerr would absolutely be around one level player. I would certainly draft her there if I could. Likewise, Charlie Dean, I think if she'd gone back into the draft, she would have commanded 25k at least, I think, given that she's now an England regular quality spinner. So I think what we're seeing here are players perhaps being a little uncertain of how the draft's going to play out and maybe choosing to stick with what they know and take the solid option of staying where they are and having that bit of stability rather than risking potentially going to another team, not enjoying it so much, or maybe not getting the money they think they're worth, et cetera. That probably is why this has happened. But on the whole, a great work for Spirit. I think despite the fact that these players could be earning more money, they've kept them there for lower than they're worth. That's brilliant work. It is brilliant work. And I think, to be honest, there's not too much debate here because I think we agree with what they've done. The only difference, of course, is Danny Gibson rather than Grace Scrivens, who we predicted would be kept. Um, a good work to keep Danny Gibson in round eight, by the way. Um, you know, bowls, bowls some useful seamers, um, hitter down the order. Quite a rare skill set for a domestic player, you'd say, who's not around the England ranks. So I think that's interesting. I wonder how much of it was looking at what they already had and deciding that, you know, we've got enough, you know, potentially got enough batting and also we've got enough part-time or off-spinners uh, or full-time off-spinners or an array of off-spinners that you need in any side. And you think, okay, then maybe we keep a player who builds off more of the things we need in terms of a seam option and then a hitter down the order. I think that might be the way I kind of see it. And that's totally valid. And keeping Danny Gibson there is absolutely a great bit of business. I think, to be honest, the reason we didn't pencil her in there is because I didn't think she'd accept that low on offer, to be honest. I think if she went into a draft again, she'd probably command more money than that. So I didn't think we really realised this was going to be an option. But fair play, it's a good one. And I, I am very fond of Grace Grivens. I think she's a really good player, have a lot of upside, and I would have absolutely... I'd love to have kept her if I was in charge of spirit, but I can't massively complain with this either. I guess this is the, the thing with these drafts and retentions. You have to accept that there's going to be players you want to keep who are going elsewhere. Um, and maybe the, the RTM comes into play for Grace Givens potentially. I don't think it will, but it, but it could do potentially, you know? So I, I can understand why they've gone about it this way. Yeah. And I think, I think Danny Gibson, uh, I can see her taking 15k around day. I think it's, but I, I think it's good business, and I like what the spirit have done overall to lock in the England captain, um, the you know a gun leg spinning all rounder, a frontline England spinner, and a really good all rounder, and still have the second overall pick and a pick in round three. I, I think it's just I think it's good business. So that's strong. 
Um, uh, strong stuff from them. We won't get too much into predictions of who they might take with the second overall pick until we see the player list and who exactly is going to be involved. But I think they're in a pretty good position. Let's go to the Manchester Originals. So in terms of what they've done, they've kept Sophie Eccleston in at round two. Gun player, one of the best players in the world. Excellent business. Deandra Dottin in at round four. Emma Lamb in at round six, and Ellie Threckled in at round eight. Now, Emma Lamb's the interesting one here, Charlie, because obviously you're only allowed to keep two centrally contracted England players. So Manchester Originals had the opportunity to keep Eccleston, Cross, and Lamb. We thought they'd stick with Eccleston and Cross. Instead, they've gone with Lamb, who's accepted round six money, which is a bit of a bargain. What do you make of that? Because, of course, Kate Cross is their captain. He is, but I think this is actually quite clever. I think what some people haven't necessarily caught on to is that this is a really good way to essentially play the system and retain five players. And I'll explain how that works. Essentially, what you can do here is by keeping Emma Lamb on the round six salary and letting Cross go, what you can do is essentially write to match Cross straight back in round one. So really, you're guaranteed to keep Cross if you want to, which we're both assuming is going to be the case because she's captured the franchise for two years, very good bowler still. Obviously, you're going to do that. So if you had kept Cross in probably round one or two, then because you've got Equiston and Lamb, you wouldn't be able to keep all three of them. So you'd have to let either Equiston or Lamb go, which probably wouldn't happen. So what you can do is keep three of them without keeping three of them. It's pretty, it, it's pretty clever, and I like it. It is clever. I, I'm interested to see how they, they roll with the cross thing. Um, so I wonder how they look at the players who are going to be available and think, well, might she drop to us in round three? Are we going to risk it and see if she'll drop to us? You know, because there's only going to be nine selections in that, you know, first you know, first round one, two bracket. And obviously with the 10th selection in round three, they could then use the right to match to keep her there if she's picked by the spirit. So do they think she's going to be in the mix for those top 10 picks? And do they risk maybe lessing her drop down to round three and taking a, a premium overseas player with a third overall pick? That is something they can think about. What I think it does is gives them options. It gives them the opportunity to keep three centrally contracted players. It gives them the opportunity to to do whatever they want, really. So I think it's great business. And, you know, I think the other thing, in this draft, you're not going to get Emma Lamb in, in that round five or six bracket. Um, I think she'd probably go in that round three, four range, which would be out of your out of your limits, whereas Kate Cross might, you know, might be able to be available in one of those slots that she might have asked for anyway. So I think that's that's good business. Um Deandra Dotton, hard hitter round four, you like that? Of course. Again, I think we were both expecting her to take a round one or two slots. So round four is again a good bit of business there. Gives them a little bit more draft capital, but more importantly, you lock in the end of Dotton to play a few next season. Great player, makes complete sense. It's good work again. Yeah, and I think what this gives you is ultimately, right, you have an opening partnership in Dotson and Lamb, which can be pretty explosive, uh, a real great all-rounder in Sophie Eccleston. You can bat five or six and whack them as well as bowl, you know, four gun overs. Obviously, Dotton bowls some seam as well. Emma Lamb bowls some, you know, part-time offies. So, so you have those options bowling as well. You lock in Ellie Threckle to have a really good keeper. She's not, you know, the, you know, the biggest contributor with the bat, but in round eight, you get a good keeper who's who's good on those tracks, has proven she can keep at Old Trafford. And you have the opportunity to bring back Kate Cross. So I think lots to like about the originals. Obviously, it depends on the players list, and we'll go through that pre-draft, what they might do. 
but it gives them options. So I like what they've done. So we move on to the next team, the Northern Superchargers. Now, we asked for mailbag questions, and we're always so thankful for what you guys send in, always so many thoughtful, interesting questions. Um, we only, at bar one, we only got questions about the Northern Superchargers when we asked for this. And I think it's because what they've done is so completely out of what everybody expected. So let's break it down very briefly before we get into all of the mailbag questions we've had about this. This is what they've done. Round two, they've got Alyssa Healy, Australian wicketkeeper, opener, explosive player, on the books last year, very high strike rate. Then, all the way down in round six, they've kept Lindsay Smith. Then in round seven and eight, they've kept Holly Armitage and Bess Heath. That means they've let go of Alice Davidson-Richards, obviously an England player, and, of course, the two big names, Jemima Rodriguez and Laura Woolvart. Now, before we get into the, the the reasoning why they might have done this, your initial reaction, Charlie, to the tactics that they've used here? Initially, I will confess I was quite surprised. I thought they were going to go down the route of keeping two marquee overseas and then maybe one or two domestic players lower down. As it happens, they're only going for one overseas and three domestic players lower down. But the more I thought about it, the more it occurred to me that this might actually be quite clever i might quibble with some of the selections in terms of the domestic options but in theory as a strategy i quite like it because again you have the rtm option at the top so you're guaranteed to get one of those big overseas guns in Walmart or Drew's back if you want to uh, and what you've also done is locked in three pretty solid domestic plans for not that much money including one in best Heath, who is very very young at 2021 and offers you a lot of upside so the more you look at it the more you think Actually, it's quite clever. It is a shocking one. I get why a lot of the questions are about this team because if you look at what they've done compared to all the other teams, it's very different. And you know, there isn't necessarily a huge amount of big marquee names there like some of the other teams. But I think they'll look to add that in the draft. They've got four decent picks there. Um, in fact, they've got all but one of their top five picks available. So they've got a lot of draft capital to add some absolute guns and some real star quality there. But they can rest relatively easy in the knowledge that they've got three solid domestic options and Alyssa Healy. So it's not a bad idea, you know. I quite like it, I've got to say. Yeah. Um, my initial reaction, I think this is, this is really good business. Let's address the mailbag questions, and I'll do it through my explanation. I don't like cricket. I love it, as asked. Laura W., what were they thinking? Footy shirts, lad, why haven't the superchargers retained Rodrigues or Woolvart? Very, very simple. They've retained five players here. Obviously, you've got Healy, you've got Smith, Armitage, and Heath lower down. They're going to use the right to match on Woolvart. I think that's that for me is the obvious thing here. They were thinking, you know, we've got this right to match up our sleeve. We can keep five. Let's lock in some domestic talent lower down and let's keep Wolvar anyway by using the RTM if they need to use the RTM. I think when we talked about this previously, we both agreed that the big three thing wasn't going to work again. It was really, really fun having Healy, Wolvart, and Rodriguez there, but it's a terrible strategy for making a successful white ball team just a terrible strategy you you cannot have the level of bowling they had last year which was horrendous again so you're never going to keep all three i think retaining two and drafting in an overseas bowler makes sense and, and i really like what they've done i think healy is actually a really good foil um to wolvar i think 
you know, I think Wolverhampton and Rodriguez are excellent. You might think, why don't you keep those two? Well, we know that Wolverhampton down at three or four, wherever she wants to bat, is a slow starter. You bring in Alyssa Healy at the top. She's going to strike at 150 for you. She's going to get you off to absolute belters. And then Wolverhampton can come in slightly later on and just take the game away with no pressure on the scoring rate. So I think that that makes a lot of sense. The, the other question then is, okay, so we're happy that we've kept Healy and Wolvars, and okay, Rodriguez has to go, and that's just a byproduct to the fact that you need to build a bowling attack. So why have they then just picked up domestic players at, right at the bottom of the draft, rather than maybe keeping an Alice Davidson-Richards in round four, round six, wherever? I... I really like the business here. So I think what they've done, and you alluded to this, Charlie, is they've kept their premium picks. So, you know, Lindsay Smith, round six, didn't have a great season last year, but a, a really good domestic player, good domestic spinner, lock that in. You keep your captain in at round seven in Armitage, and you keep a you know exciting young player in Heath in at round eight. What that gives you is you've got Healy to open the batting. You've got your middle order sorted, basically, with Armitage, Heath, and Wolvart, and then you have all of these premium picks and all of these middle-class picks as well to pick up talent. Obviously, there's you know a lot of players being retained here in this round three, round four range. No other, only the only other team to keep these other premium picks in the same way the Superchargers have is the Southern Brave, and that's ridiculous. So we'll get on to that. But they're giving themselves the opportunity here to pick up the best of the best domestic players and then not take the risk of being picking in round seven or eight and maybe getting that second tier of domestic players. You lock in players you know, players you like, and then you can bring in those top quality domestic players in round three, round four, round five as well. So I really like what they've done here, and it's given the opportunity to pick up some really, really solid players and to build a bowling attack. I've done a mock draft that is kind of unofficial. We'll do a proper one soon. But in my mock draft, I was able to keep Wolvar. I was able to bring in Freya Davies. That's a top-class domestic seamer into that attack. And I was also able to bring in Darcy Brown. So right there, then you're able to have two-gun seamers, two-gun top overseas players, some really nice middle order players and a good left arm spinner. And it gives you so many options. So whilst I know this is a bit of a shock, overall, I think this is absolutely the best strategy. And I think it means that they're not having to pick up the second level local players. They're keeping themselves in play for the best of the best domestic talent. And that means they could really bring in some quality players to, to, to shore up this franchise, because I think that's the issue they've had, right? I think we both agree. They've had the top level players, but they haven't had those you know, real gun domestic stars, domestic bowlers to bring them through. This way, you can keep Healy, you can keep Wolvar, but you can bring in a couple of really good domestic players as well. So I, I like what they've done. And I think the names you mentioned there, uh, the names you picked up in your mock draft, kind of illustrate what I was going to say. Because if you had kept, say, Alice Davis and Richards, I imagined you would have been looking at, let's say, um, around three, four, five level, right? Is that fair for, yeah. for her, you reckon? Yeah. Now, if you'd have kept her there, then you'd say fair enough at the time, but you go into the draft and you might suddenly find yourself watching players who you think are better than her pass you by and go to other teams because you have those earlier slots in your draft grid locked in already with players you've retained. So while you might think that going down that route might be the way to go, what they've done by releasing some of those slightly higher-end domestic players like Alice Davidson-Richards is 
they can essentially upgrade. And there's no disrespect to ADR, very good player, but I think they might get better in the draft. And I think the way they've approached this makes complete sense and has put them in a really good position to strengthen that domestic core because they're going to need to. And I think if they get this right, it could be in a really good position. And ADR didn't have a good tournament last year. Let's be real here. It didn't offer much of the bat. It was expensive with the ball. I think, you know, whilst you want to keep her around, maybe it's time for a bit of a refresh. Um, I think I think it's interesting. And I do think the Superchargers are in a good position here. One thing I'll say is they're effectively, let's assume they're keeping Wolvart. Let's just say they're going to do that. They're keeping Wolvart. They're keeping Healy. They're keeping Armitage, keeping Heath. Don't have many bowling options in that top order. We see the premium, and this is in the women's IPL, it's in the big bash, it's in the 100, whatever. You see the premium of having overseas players, domestic players, whatever, who can bat in that top five, be really ex- explosive players, and then obviously bowl as well. It's massive. That's why, look at the WPL auction, for example. Why do you think Ash Gardner's getting so much money? Why is Talia McGrath such a target? Why is Kerr? Why is Eccleston? All of these things. Why are they such premium targets? Because they offer both. Superchargers don't have that. We'll see what they do in the draft. Overall, though, Pretty pretty happy with what they've done. I think they have a really good opportunity to reset here. From a team full of talking points, let's go to a team not full of any talking points, Birmingham Phoenix, because we were pretty much spot on here, Charlie. Um, my notes just say yes to the Birmingham Phoenix. Um, they've retained Amy Jones in round two, Elise Perry and Izzy Wong in round three and four, and Emily Arlett in round eight. This is exactly what we thought would happen, bar Perry being in round three, and Amy Jones being in round two, we had them swapped around. So not many notes on my you know, on my behalf on the Phoenix other than good job. Yeah, that's what, what else can you say, really? They've got four really good players there. Amy Jones obviously been really good for England recently in the middle order. Elise Perry, phenomenal all-rounder. Izzy Wong, brilliant young seamer. Emily Arla, also really good up-and-coming young seamer. So, you know, what more can you say? Exactly what we thought they'd do. And, yeah. Great job. Next. I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's good work. They'll have the fifth overall pick. I think what's important to mention here is obviously because they've got those players locked in round two, round three, round four. They're going to have to draft well. They're going to have to find impact makers in round five to seven. They'll have to find a really good overseas there. You know, they'll have to find a couple of good domestic players there. And obviously, up you know, draft really well in round one as well. What I think is good, of course, so they have the they have Amy Jones, obviously, you know, explosive batter there. Obviously, Elise Perry can, can kind of bat wherever you want to really and offers a bowling option. Effectively, you have a pretty good seam attack there in Wong and Arlett, and then Perry who can bowl two or three overs somewhere. So you have that rare skill set locked in, which is great, especially Emily Arlett down in round eight. They have plenty of batting when you include Wong there. So it's a nice balance. You know, I think you can find spinners lower down. Um, you know, they'll, they'll want to, you know, maybe they bring back Eve Jones, say in round seven, you have that left-hander at the top again. Maybe they want to go upgrade in terms of the spinners. I think it might be nice to go get a leggy. Maybe you go after a Georgia Wareham and a Manja Jade Wellington. Let's see how they how they see this draft. But pretty happy with what they've got. I think we won't have much to say until we've thought through uh, mock drafts when we've seen the players list, to be honest, because they've done exactly what we thought they would do. And it's good business. Trent Rockets, they've, they've also retained exactly the same um, players that we thought they would. However, there are a couple of, you know, interesting talking points here. First of all, um, Catherine Siverbrunt taking 25K in round three and four rather than round one. 
is there. Obviously, Nats of Abrunt in at round two. I think that's absolutely worth it. Australian Leggy, Alana King in at round four. Great business. And then Bryony Smith, who we also suspected would stay, is in at round six rather than round eight. I'm not sure there's much to say here, Charlie. The one thing I'd point out is that whilst I think Bryony Smith's a really nice player, I think the fact she's commanding more money than Maya Boucher and Freya Kemp, and even, you know, and Emily Arlott, I think is an interesting dynamic of how some teams have really pushed the boat out and got a real advantage, and others maybe haven't quite taken that extra leap. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That was the name that stuck out to me. And don't get me wrong, I think she's a very handy player to have in your squad, but uh, when I look at Freya Kemp, for example, being two runs lower it's difficult to see the value being particularly equivalent there mm. you know I, I i and again i do think you do get the benefit of being a team like brave when you are such a good team and have been dominating for so for so much of this competition's duration that you have that extra bargaining chip and the ability to keep players below their market value that's maybe something the trent rockets despite having a pretty decent season last time around they don't quite have that status yet, but they don't quite have that bargaining chip. So maybe they decided that, you know, we want to keep Brian Smith around for the foreseeable future. If she wants that money, we'll give it to her. And because they didn't have the same kind of hand in negotiations as, mm-hmm. as someone like Southern Brave, they, they had to accept it and not really be able to try and negotiate that lower. So it's an interesting display of how different teams are rated by players i think um mm. but on the whole i'm i'm relatively okay with it but i do think it could have got better value there potentially Bryony smith in 2022 in the 100 um average of 16.85 stroke over 110 with the bat 118 runs half of those scored in just one innings very good with the ball really good average of 14 comrade of 6.81 nine wickets and seven matches you know, a, a good operator, again, I think good off-spinner, potential contributor with the bat, I think maybe round eight might well have been the kind of area you're looking to retain. Then again, of course, who else would the Rockets have kept out of those domestic players? Marie Kelly, they couldn't keep Sarah Glenn, as long as she's in a central contract, and they kept both the Silver Bronx. So you couldn't keep Sarah Glenn. So unless you really, really want to keep Abby Freeborn around, that was kind of it. And I wonder yeah, how much that impacted Freeborn, it. Freeborn would have been the other name I'd throw it in the mix, yeah. but uh, I, I don't think they were ever a team that had the most intimidating of domestic cause compared no. to the other sides around there. I think they've always been quite a top-heavy side, very reliant on a handful of players. And I think that's reflected in their retentions as well. So... Maybe it works out quite nicely for them as an opportunity to try and refresh and really invest in strengthening that domestic core potentially. But I would suggest maybe having Brownie Smith in that round six position does slightly weaken their hand because it does mean that they lose that round six pick in the draft and they could have potentially had that locked in at round eight. So I don't think it's a huge difference, but it could be the difference between losing out on a high quality player for someone of slightly less quality. So these things do matter more than you might think. Yeah, I think it's a mid-tier domestic player to a low-tier domestic player and says what's available in this in this little draft. And I think this is this is the problem is obviously they only kept one overseas player. So you have round one, round five, round seven, round eight. So assuming round one's going to be a, a top tier 
overseas player. I'd imagine it needs to be a top order batter because they don't really have that. Then does that mean you're going to go hunting for an overseas player in round seven or eight? Is that the deal you're going to take? Or is it going to be another overseas in round five and suddenly a next tier of domestic players yet again, round seven, round eight and the, and the remainder. Now I'd imagine round seven and round eight might give some potentially nice players compared to what they had last year. However, I do think that just the way this team is structured and the strengths and weaknesses they've had, I don't think that necessarily changes here because I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure you can go bargain hunting for overseas players in round seven or round eight. We often talk about the fact in the men's storm, you can find really great overseas players at that point. But I think in the women's game, the fact that there's such, you know, there's such a polarizing difference between a real top tier gun overseas player and maybe the next level. I think it probably ultimately means that they're shopping in round seven and round eight for domestic players again, and that potentially weakens them and just leads to them kind of being the same old Trent Rockets really. It's true. It's difficult to say for sure without having the player list in front of us because we don't know exactly what overseas are going to be in the mix and at what reserve. But uh, there's a part of me that we tempted to just go domestic in round one. You know, maybe Danny Wyatt's on the table there. Maybe you bring her in. You, you've mm-hmm. got that top order batter locked in already. Really high quality domestic player. And maybe then you do try and get some more money boy overseas players. I mean, I don't know if that necessarily gives them the, the best outcome i don't know it might be something that i consider to be honest i'm very big on that domestic core the overseas quality in those lower picks might not be there for you to do that you might say that that ends up hitting your overseas quality too much but i don't know it's an option for them i think and i i like i say it's hard to know for sure without the player list in front of us but they do have options there, and i'm really curious to see which they prioritize those domestic picks or that gun overseas it's interesting. We'll see what they do. And again, all of that coming up in all the mock drafts and the pre-draft content we have. Let's get to the Southern Brave then. I mean, this is... We talked about this draft being a leveler. I don't think it's a leveler at all. I don't think it's a leveler at all in terms of what the Southern Brave have done. Just to run through what they've got. And they've kept Schmitty Mandana in at round two. And then they've got Lauren Bell in at round six. And Mai Boucher and Fred Kemp in at round seven and round eight. Lauren Bell being on the same money as Bryony Smith is is huge, just huge. And then my Boucher and Fred Kemp being in round seven, round eight is a joke. They, especially if you assume that they can right to match back Sophia Dunkley in at round one, you're keeping Dunkley and Mandana as your top order options. You've got Boucher at four. You've got Kemp at, you know, six or seven or whatever. Lauren Bell as well. Gun Seamer, gun all rounder. Middle order player, gun opening partnership. I mean, what what is there to say? And then you have all those premium picks, round three, round four, round five, to bring in even more brilliant talent. It, it's a joke. They've they've done it again. They really have. It's phenomenal, isn't it? Like you say, the RTM has given them that loophole to bring back Dunkley straight away, and that top order of Dunkley and Mandana is very very strong already. Bell, Boucher, and Camp agreeing to such low deals when they all would have come on with significantly higher deals had they gone back into draft. Again, that just shows you the level of bargaining that the Southern Brave have because people want to play for the Southern Brave. Mm. Charlotte Edwards has created such a strong team there. Every single player wants to play for this team to the point that they're happy to accept significantly lower money than they would earn just so they can make sure they will come back and play for that same franchise again. It really is testament to the organization and the culture that they've built there 
and I, I look, it, it's a shame because they're going to have to let go of Danny Wyatt. Presumably, I don't necessarily see a scenario in which she comes back there. Potentially mm-hmm. the same with Amanda J. Wellington as well. She may well end up going elsewhere. If that RCM does go and dunk with them, they're probably going to have to accept that those two players are going to go elsewhere, which, you know, obviously is a loss. However, there is no shortage of other quality players they can go and attack in this draft as well. And they've got four out of their top five picks available. So they're going to be able to do that. I just think they're in such a strong position here. You know, maybe if Wellington doesn't come back, that's fine. You're going for a wearer or something around three or four and you get a very similar player. Not much difference in quality either. So, you know, that's just one example of the kind of maneuvering you can do. There's so much draft capital to use there and with such a strong core locked in already, you really are feeling very good about this team. Yeah. And I don't think they, I mean, they are going to be weakened by this. So you're not going to bring up Wyatt. Um, Tyler McGraw's not going to play in this tournament, we don't think. And then you've got, you know, Jade. I'm not sure. I, I get the feeling, and I would I would put it at like 60-40, feeling positive for the Brave, that one of Amanda Jade Willington and Georgia Wareham would fall to them in round three. Like I feel I feel relatively okay about that potentially happening. So so you get that. And obviously, you know, with those premium picks, and let's say you get Dunkley in round one, let's say you get a, a Wareham or a Jade Wellington in round three, and maybe you can, I, I don't know if you'd go in for a, another Seamer, maybe you bring in a you know a, a quality overseas Seamer, or you, you could go a different direction, it doesn't really matter. But you'll have, you know, round three, round four, round five to bring in some quality domestic players. So, so you know, you will lose out on Wyatt. You might lose out on a leg spinner. You might have a slight downgrade from McGrath. But the other thing here, of course, is when this draft finishes, where are the best free agents going to head? Southern Brave. So not only are they getting absolute bargains on Bell, Boucher and Kempe, the, the future of England and, and constitute their final three slots in the draft, and as well as all these premium picks, they're going to have at the, the very end of this you'd think the two best free agents are going to get the same money anyway in round nine or ten round, round anywhere. They're probably going to go to the Southern Brave. So yet again, they'll have that advantage. So I just think it's, I just think it's phenomenal business. Um, and effectively, again, you, you have kept five players, but they will write to match Dunkley. I'd be really surprised if they don't. So Dunkley, Mandana, Belle Boucher, Kemp, three premium picks, the best of the free agents, job done. You can't say fairer than that, can you? Finally then, Oval Invincibles, we had quite a long discussion about what they were going to do. Um, and kind of looking through the the lenses of what we see on social media and what happened last tournament, we didn't think that they would keep Marazan Cap. They have, however, Marazan Cap lining up into round two, Alice Capsey and Winfield Hill in at round three and four, Tash Farron in at round six. We projected that they would keep Sophia Smale, breakout star, um, in the 2022 tournament rather than Marisan Cap, but Cap is back and that's that's excellent business. So kind of what we expected, but with the addition of Marisan Cap and having, you know, arguably the greatest um T20 player of all time in your side, even though she's a bit older, is it's just great business for them. Oh, it really is. I mean, as much as I really rate Sophia Smell, and I think she's gonna be a really good player to have in your team for years. You can't argue with Marazan, can you? If she wants to play for you, you take her. There's no question to be asked there. Like you, Ed, I don't think I necessarily expected this. I thought she might mm. want to move on after the events of last season, but it's a real big boom for the overall principles that managed to convince her to come back for another season because she is an unrivaled 
all-rounder. Her new ball bowling is absolutely deadly, and she offers a lot with the bat as well. Like I said, if you can keep her, you do so. And they've done that, and they are going to be all the stronger for it. Really, yeah. really good retention from them. Yeah, it is good retention. And I know the ball doesn't swing as much in South Africa, but the fact that they were, at South Africa, that is, in the World Cup, were, were chucking the ball to Mlaba before Cap. And I think she's more on the third over even after Ismail. Kind of confused me slightly. I really like Ismail. Obviously, a great tournament, best bowler in the tournament, South Africa. And Mlaba's a really nice player. But I don't know why you just hand the ball to Marazan Cap with the with the, you know, the first over, set the tone, pick up a couple of wickets. Let's, let's put the cat amongst the pigeons. Well, you, you think how lethal she was with the new ball that in the 2021 100 final versus Southern Brave, where she basically yeah. single-handedly ripped through them in, in the space of about 10 balls. It was utterly obscene bowling. And you think if you can do that, why are you not getting a new ball? It's crazy. Yeah, and that's that's your I mean, it's kind of the same thing. That 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 great Brave side and that and this great Australia side, obviously, you know, international level's different, but but the chance that the Invincibles had against that brave side was to rock through their top order. The only only opportunity South Africa really had was to rock through Australia and nip them down to under one fifty, maybe one forty. So yeah, you know, I'm not gonna not gonna get too angry with the tactics. I think it was, it was massively awful. I, I just handed the ball to to Cap. But but that's the great thing about Marathon Cup. Obviously, she bats to the top five as well. You have got Winfield Hill to open. Alice Capsey just a star batting at three, bowling some off spin. Tash Farrant can operate in those you know in those power playovers as well with her left armers. So. You feel in a pretty good place. You probably want to bring in, you know, a, a gun spinner in this draft. Maybe you write to match the fifth smell in round five or round seven and eight. You don't know. Um, you might want to bring in a, a gun top order overseas. Again, they're on a bit of a situation here where they've got, you know, two overseas picks to fill and they've only got slots in round five, one, round five, round seven, round eight. So it might be that those picks are in round one and round five and you're shopping in that kind of lower end draft eligible players on the domestic side of things. But I think if you have the opportunity to keep Capsy there, great. You'll she's keep Farron, or she's keep Cap, or she's keep Winfield Hill. I just think it's good business overall. Um so so I, I think I think it's absolutely, absolutely worth doing. And whilst you know they're not going to have the same amount of premium picks, obviously picking last compared to earlier in the draft and having those kind of lower end picks you feel really good about that core overall. Absolutely. Like you say, there aren't necessarily too many really high-end draft picks available to them, but what they do have is a really solid core of three excellent domestic players and one genuinely world-class overseas all-rounder. Mm. I don't think anybody will complain about that. I think when you look at the team they've got last season, they've kept, you would say, the majority of their key players there. So, yeah, no arguments to be had there. I think they've done a really good job with the players at their disposal. Yeah, I, I think so. I think I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, so there we are. Um, that's uh, looking through every single team. Um, I, I think we like a lot of the business done here overall. Um, so let's get into some mailbag questions before we go. Um, first of all, Jacob, this is our one question, not about the Northern Superchargers, though it does slightly relate to them. Um, he asks, who do you think is likely to use the right to match card in this draft? Um, a couple of suggestions on the Brave and the Rockets, but let's go team by team, shall we, Charlie? Working, uh, I think, almost backwards. I I, I would imagine that, that we both agree that Dunkley is going to be the first overall pick in this draft and it's going to be right to match back to Southern Brave. So you yep. think that will happen? Wolvart of the Superchargers. 
Yeah, again, no question. That's going to happen. We think that will happen. Cross at the originals, potentially. I reckon so. They might consider waiting on her and seeing if they can get her in round three, but I suspect they'll just RTM her straight away They get her in round one. Um, another one that was brought up by Jacob was Sarah Glenn for the Rockets. Now, th- this interests me with Glenn, because obviously you've already got Alana King there. You've got the Silver Brunt, so a couple of all-rounders. So you've already got the gun legsman, already got a couple of all-rounders. If you're the Trent Rockets... I don't know, I might find bringing a big name overseas rather than getting Glenn in round one. I might wait and look at other domestic players, personally. I'm tempted to agree. I'm not sure another leggy is necessarily what that number one pick ought to be for this team. I think that if Glenn hadn't already played with the Trent Rockets, I don't think she'd be hugely in the conversation for this pick so early, potentially. So I don't think that would be the way I'd go. However... Do I see them doing it? Potentially, yes. I, I don't I don't see it. I, I really like Sarah Glenn, but I don't think she's around one player necessarily compared to what might be available there with the sixth overall pick. Just the way I see it. Um, I think she's probably going to be in that round three, round four range for a lot of teams, looking at you, originals, um, maybe even looking at you, Northern Superchargers. Um, I think you know, there's there's some definite options there. Even Southern Brave. Hey, if, if Jade Wellington and Wareham go early, maybe you bring in Sarah Glenn as that option in round three or round four. So so I think she goes in that range. I, d- I don't necessarily see her going in round one. As much as I believe that every single team in franchise cricket should be forced to play two leg spinners at all times, <laughs> I'm not sure that is the way I would go if I'm the Rockets and I'm really wanting to bring in a gun overseas player because you're not going to get a gun overseas player later down the draft. You're not going to find a real true age gun in round five, round seven, round eight, potentially. So I think that is the kind of way I'd look at it. Um, Overland Invincibles don't think would really... I mean, I, don't, I, I mean, I wonder if you look at Shannon Mismail after the tournament she's had. Yeah, very potentially. Very potentially. She's in red hot form at the moment. That is very much an option for them. Yeah, so if you, then you have Cap, Farron, Tismel, you've got your seam attack, that's great. And then you find a couple of spinners lower down. So maybe she'd be an option. For the spirit, I don't think Shoot's the kind of player I'd be right to matching in that round one range. Beth Mooney, potentially, is a is someone that the Welsh Farm might be looking at, but not sure. So, yeah, I, I think uh, pretty much every team, maybe other than the Phoenix, maybe, will be strongly, strongly preparing their right-to-match cards early on in this draft. And I think it's also worth remembering, it's not just a round one and two round two thing, you know, if Sophia Smell's down in round seven and has been picked up by the Ralph Farron in round seven, do the Oval Invincibles right-to-match her and bring her back? You know, I mean, also let's say, I don't know, if the, if the London Spirit try and pick Alex Hartley in round seven, do the Welsh Fire right-to-match her back? In round eight, lots of lots of interesting things. I think Alex Hartley goes before that, but lots of interesting, you know, interesting little bits here, which is which will which will come into things. Um, so so interested to see how that goes and lots of draft dynamic stuff. Um, a couple more questions about the superchargers, funnily enough. Random cricket stats, which price bracket do you think Jemima Rodriguez will go in? Is there a chance superchargers use their right to match on her? We didn't really get into this. I think we just kind of assumed Wolvar would be the pick. Um, so b- before we get into the price bracket that we think Rodriguez might go in, and I think the range she might go in rather than the price bracket, because I think we know the price bracket she'll go in, the range maybe, what would be the factor that would make you choose Wolvart over Rodriguez or vice versa? 
I think I'm looking to see who they're going to be paired up with at the top of the order. So obviously in Rodrigue's case, you'd imagine that she would open up with Healy. I'm looking to see which player is going to complement the resources I've already got. For me, I'm thinking if I get Wolvart, have a batting at three or four, she pairs off very nicely with Healy. Because mm. Healy, you have an explosive player, is going to go hard right from the start. With Wolvart, you've got someone who's maybe a bit more complementary to that in the middle order. Um, it, I, although the more, I, the more I say that, the more I'm always talking myself out of it. Bess Heath's a bit of a dasher as well. Bess Heath tries to get on with it a bit. Um, so I think that's you know that that's worth remembering as well. Um, I, I would, I think I, it's really difficult. I think I would probably go for Woolvart, but as whilst I think that she needs to get the hell on with it sometimes, her production in the hundred last year was just absolutely absurd. I mean, averaging 71, 286 runs, um, you know, just, just obliterated the tournament. A, a strike rate wasn't, you know, the, the strongest it was 133 but she scored way more runs than anyone else consistently put you know big scores on the board and if you've got Healy there who can get you off to a fast start and Wolvart can really crack on with it I I just think you 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 keep Wolvart and that would personally be the way I'd look at it and then you know try and build a a, a good attack to you know to to protect the targets that Wolvart's consistently going to give you yeah, averaging 71 last year for a reason. I've said two knocks outs, but 286 runs and six innings consistently putting you in a good position. I think that's the way I'd go personally. So I think that would be the way I'd look at it. In terms of the range for for Rodriguez, if we if we do assume she's going out into, into the draft, probably from I'd say I'd say anywhere from the first overall pick to the Phoenix, I think is a realistic area for her to go. Yeah, I think there's every chance she is the first overall pick and goes to Welsh Fire. Mm. I think as we demonstrated earlier, there are a lot of potential first picks of Welsh Fire that could end up being RTMs. <laughs> and Wild Riggs is potentially another of those. I don't yeah. think that will happen. I think as we discussed, that will likely be Wolvar who gets RTM by the Superchargers. That will mean that Rodriguez is absolutely free for anyone else to nick. And I think that Welsh Fire could very well decide that's the route for them. In which case, I'm going to put a bet on her being the first overall pick. I think that is a very reasonable play and a very good one, I think, as well. So that's likely, but I don't think she will fall any further than the Superchargers, personally. I think it should be one of those first three picks. I am not going to bet on anything because this is going to be an absolute crapshoot, I think. Um, to, to be honest with you, it's really difficult <laughs> to predict. But but I, but the way I see it is that if I'm the Phoenix, I'm taking her without a blink, um, and therefore I think she'll probably go in that kind of range. So I, I don't see her falling out of round one. I don't see her getting to the, the Trent Rockets even. I think it's one of those. I think it's likely the originals of the Phoenix would be the way I would see it. Um, but, but you know, a, a really interesting player and one of the big names that's going to change franchises, which is which is super exciting. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. And then finally, another Superchargers question. Footy shirts, lad. Uh, will the Superchargers try to bring back their better players, e.g. Davidson, Richards and Levick? It's interesting for the Superchargers conversation we had. I don't think that they are... Going to be prioritizing Levick and Davidson Richards. 
personally. I think they moved on from them for a reason. If maybe one of them's there in round five, they take them. But I think they're trying to reshape this team. And by reshape that team, I mean bring in some gun bowlers. So I, I yeah. really wonder if they're focusing on that in round three and round four. Yeah, this is what I was alluding to earlier with their retentions. And I use the example of Alice Davidson Richards as a potential example of someone who could have retained, but presumably didn't for a reason. And mm. I think that reason is they want to upgrade on that domestic core. I don't think their domestic core has been especially strong compared to some other squads in the last couple of seasons. I think that's been their Achilles heel, right? frankly. I think they've been so reliant on that top three gun overseas players and the rest hasn't really been of a quality to match. This time, what they do have is three really good picks in round three to five where you'd imagine they're going to target the best domestic player available in each position. And there's every possibility that they decide that the best domestic player at a certain point is someone like Levick or Alex Davis and Richards. But there's also, I suspect, more chance that the best player is someone who isn't one of those players, but mm-hmm. is someone who they might think is slightly better. In which case, fair play, they've done exactly what it's out to do. So... I think it's a logical strategy. I agree. I don't think they'll necessarily prioritise those players. If it, if they fall back to them, then fair enough. But I suspect they get their eyes on slightly upgrading where possible. Yeah, I think Levick's a really good player. I, I She's the player I'd be most keen to keep if that's round five and she falls there. There's a potential that happens because you've got, you know, you've got a lot of you know, retentions at round three, round four range. I think if she was to fall back to you in round five, you take that, but I'll be really focusing on two seamers in round three and four. And I think you maybe let ADR go and see 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 where who else fancies her basically, uh, who wants to take her on. So I think that's interesting. And that's all of our mailbag questions. Um so so thank you very much for sending them in as ever. At podcast hundred if you want to send any more, always happy to answer them. What we're going to be doing over the next month, heading up to the draft, we're going to have mock drafts. We're going to be doing all of this different draft build-up. We'll kind of talk a little bit more about what we'll be getting up to soon. But, you know, plenty of great content there. We're super excited. We both have the day off for work just to see what the Welsh Fire are going to do with the first overall pick in both tournaments. It's going to be absolutely class. Um, So stick with us for all the draft build-up. But for now, thank you very much for listening. We'll speak to you next time.